So hello everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. I wanted to do a little introduction to this podcast because we taped this before COVID-19 hit. And uh, this is an amazing farm as you're gonna learn from the podcast. Um, and what is even more amazing is in this difficult time, the folks at Remer Family Farm have pivoted and their business is up almost 200% in the last month. In the podcast, they're gonna talk about having had um, drop-off points where they delivered meat. Their pivot was to start delivering direct to individual homes. This is something that they've been thinking about doing for a really long time and um, they had been planning for it. So um, this was just kind of the impetus to get that rocking and rolling and it's been going really well for them. So Reaper Family Farm in this home delivery model that they've pivoted to can deliver within a one day shipping radius of their farm, which is about a half hour south of Madison. So that reaches all the way to the Chicago metro area and um, I think probably the Minneapolis Twin Cities metro area as well. And I thought it would be great to add this introduction because we're all in you know, we're all in this together. It's a difficult time. We see lots of businesses struggling mightily. We worry about our food supply. And I think that this interview and this story is something that should be really inspirational for people. So be well and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. So Bryce and Jen, thanks for coming down and joining us today from Reamer Family Farms. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we made it through the ice and the snow, and <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you guys here, and I'm, I'm, I don't think I've ever, I must have sat this way before, but I'm looking at a stuffed moose head on the wall <laughs> and I was like huh I wonder if that's been there a long time and I never noticed it or what it's great yeah, yeah. we've got a yellow submarine on this side so it's this is a cool studio yeah it's great <laughs> it's great and and it helps the p quality the audio quality for our listeners so much to be in a studio it's awesome yeah and it's nice to be in this warm studio and not out in the ice and snow today Yes, and you are farmers, so you know about that. Yeah, um, we, we've already been out there this morning. Yeah. Yes, oh, we've been there this morning. So, yeah, why don't we start by um, just having you talk to us all about your farm? Why don't you start since you're the yeah, generation, all right. third generation there? Yeah, so my grandfather uh, started our farm in 1927, mm. so 90 years, right? And, wow. Uh, so it's third generation, and... We've been we've been farming there full time as a as a couple and uh, and raising raising our three daughters there uh, for t ten well years. ten we've years. We've lived there ten, ten years. years. We've been full time farming four or five now. Yeah, and and we hesitate because it's all phased in, and we might talk about this this morning is mm -hmm. is how that transition happens. But uh, but yeah, we're we're there. Uh, it's it's in Broadhead, and uh, so it's about you know. 40 minutes south of Madison and uh, in the Lower Sugar River watershed area. 
it's it's a uh, it's a farm that we, we've got 280 acres on the home farm. We expanded to a couple of more locations this year, but we've transitioned the farm from the traditional corn and beans uh, and uh, grain-fed beef that my my father did and my and my grandfather. We transitioned that to uh, something that fits the demands of today's customers, um, and and now we do all pasture-based, grass-fed uh, proteins, added added a few different species, uh, not just the grass-fed beef, but now we have uh, grass-fed lamb and pastured pork and uh, pastured laying hens with the eggs, as well as uh, meat chickens and turkeys. So we've, we've changed it up a bit. Just mm-hmm. a little. So I... Um, I visited your farm, I've been at your farm a couple of times, and one time I saw your dad, um, and I think he was going for the kittens or something, the cat, Mm -hmm. or yeah, yeah, something that he seemed to have a lot of affection for. Was this transition um, hard for your dad to see? It it was. Yeah. Well, yeah, it it, it was at at first because, you know, farmers, they they work usually alone their their whole lives Mm -hmm. and and they have to figure out what works best and how to do things. And so when I came along, he he was really glad that I came along. You know, this is kind of a dream come true that to be able to transition your farm to to your next generation. uh, It doesn't happen that often because it's difficult, but he, you know, he he was doing things his way Mm -hmm. and so what jen and i were able to do we had the luxury i guess i'll call it of living somewhere else and doing a different job and then kind of taking Mm. small steps in that transition because we we respected my dad and what he did and wanted to maintain that relationship and didn't want to push push things um and so what we were able to do um was say you know what dad you you did what you had to do for your mm-hmm. farm. You, you know your 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 size and your time frame, your era that you were in. You did the right thing. Uh, we're not saying you did anything wrong because mm-hmm. we need to change things. But we right. have to do it differently now for us to make a living and for us to not only make a living but uh, raise our kids there and not have off farm jobs and you know the the kind of lifestyle that we were mm-hmm. hoping for. Um, and so you know when we put it that way. Uh, he understood that. I mean, my mm-hmm. parents understood that we can't, we could not do it the way that they did. Um, and then as we made the changes, um, you know, we, we, it was a balancing act and we didn't just make wholesale changes and we're glad of that, you mm-hmm. know, cause if we would have, you know, we get, get excited about some new idea and like, let's do that all next year. Well, right. looking back, we're glad that we didn't do that and had to have some restraint. Um, and then, so as the changes were implemented and, uh, they weren't failures right right <laughs> and they, they you know some things worked that you know shocked my parents then over, you know over time <laughs> that the next change wasn't quite as difficult and mm-hmm. and such so uh so now you know now my parents are very uh they've always been supportive but now they're uh they're proud of what we've created mm-hmm. um even though they're not as involved because it's so different than how they did it. They don't really understand a lot of the ways that we're doing things, mm-hmm. but they're supporting us in all the other uh, more important ways, like uh, driving our kids to school and nice, you know. yeah. feeding the cats. Yeah. <laughs> and they live across the street, right? They they're, they're right there. Yeah. 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 So you grew up raising beef 
in a traditional yeah, way. Right. And how many cattle did you did you have? Yeah, my dad had a cow calf herd of mm-hmm. uh, oh probably at the most he had about seventy five mm-hmm. uh, cows, and uh, and so. You know, growing up, uh, he'd, he'd grow the corn uh, that he would use to, to finish them out on uh, and then rotate that with, with soybeans and, and uh, produce our own hay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so pretty self-sufficient, but, uh, you know, the the model of being able to just take that, uh, that beef and, and sell it at the sales barn for commodity price uh, doesn't work today. Right you got to have a lot more cattle. Right. You have to have way more cattle and way more land and way more, way more, way more. Yeah. So, okay. So you grew up doing that. So you were around cattle and you understood cattle. And then then you left the farm. What happened? You uh, go to sure. school and... Yeah. Yeah. Went to college, um, UW-Platteville, uh-huh. and uh, didn't really know what I wanted to study. So I, I got an agribusiness degree, right? Because right. I'm a farm kid. and I, Yeah. So it's, it's kind of what you do, but... I was not inspired by it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the idea of just going to most, most of the graduates would go and work for a big company in sales. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I didn't pursue that. I, I added a second uh, bachelor's in psychology because mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting, right? So, so that extra year that uh, that extra major gave me uh, granted me the opportunity to get to know this lady. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that part it's of this true. story. He needed an extra year to find me. <laughs> he did. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So we met in college then and um, got married uh-huh. on this day, 19 years oh, ago. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Goodness. And then um, worked various places. Mm-hmm. Um, we Worked at, um, in Cincinnati at Miami University a little bit, and then back at UW-Platteville. Then Bryce got his um, master's degree in counseling. So mm. we ultimately ended up um, in the Chicago suburbs. And wow. Bryce was a high school guidance counselor for nine or ten years. Uh, I don't know. I'm getting that wrong. I think it was seven. Okay, sorry. Felt um, like ten. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we started our family there, and I did some various part-time work, uh-huh. but um, focused on raising babies for a while. Sure. Um, and then we moved back to the farm uh, about ten years ago and yeah. really took kind of baby steps, you know, like mm-hmm. we talked about, to make the, make it our own. We took a lot of those steps while we were living in the suburbs. While you were in Chicago. Yes. Yeah. So what were some of those steps like? I started, you know, (laughs) a lot of my friends were saying, wow, we'd love to live on a farm in Wisconsin. Right. And we were like, we came the wrong direction. You know, Mm -hmm. everybody wants to make that swap. And then we started to uh, sell some of the beef that my dad was raising to my friends at school and to my my coworkers, and then uh they loved it and it was it was uh easy to do and and we got a lot more customers the word spread that kind of thing and so then we were like okay we can maybe we can do this you know maybe we can make this happen because we always had it in the back of our minds of moving back to the farm you know but how's that ever going to work out Mm -hmm. you know how will that be profitable because it's 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 technically not a small farm i guess it's a mid-sized farm but 280 acres is is not enough to you know make major life decisions on <laughs> um, 280 acres seemed like a lot of land to me 
at the yeah. time. <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Like, so the, it is this weird, you're in the, the egg in the middle world, right? Yes. Right. And so yeah. not, not a little farm, not a big farm, mm-hmm. and figuring out a model for that is really yeah. interesting. It's the, so. it's the, it's the fastest uh, disappearing yeah. <laughs> size of farm. You know, yeah. the mid-sized farms are either getting bigger or smaller. Mm-hmm. Well, and we were always really conscientious about what we ate and, you know, really were kind of, you know, the early ad- adapters of the like good food movement and sure. buying organic and whatever and realized that our friends at the school were like really digging the fact that they knew what farm their beef came from mm-hmm. and it wasn't even grass-fed at that time mm-hmm. but I we started getting really inspired like we could do grass-fed meat and we mm-hmm. could do all the all this pasture and started getting really excited about um, growing things on pasture and kind of at least I thought we were like making up this whole new way to farm and like had all these brilliant brand new ideas. And then we went to the Moses farming conference probably in like 2008 or something and just found all these other people that had all the same brilliant ideas and could teach us and give us books. I mean, we, that was kind of where our mind was blown and like, Hey, we can, we could really make a go of this and do this. And Right. Yeah. Wow. So you one day you call your dad and say, "Hey, Dad, <laughs> I think we want to come back." Yes, what did they, he say? My, like, my dad still tells the story. Maybe my mom t- likes to tell the story that, of the the night that I called home and said, "Dad, don't sell the farm." That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. They they, they were uh, they were kind of surprised, um, but they didn't. They held on to it for us, and mm-hmm. uh, and so mm-hmm. you know. Again, it took it's it took a transition, but we kind of warmed them up to the transition. It's kind of like you know when you when a couple gets married and then they get their dog as a right. kind of a practice to have a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 came up and gutted the old farmhouse uh-huh. and remodeled that entirely, and that's the house that my dad grew up in, right? Right. So that that was a good practice for uh, warming my dad up for the changes oh to come on the, oh, on the rest of the farm. Oh gosh, yeah. So yeah, you have this. Uh, beautiful uh, old farmhouse that yeah is definitely been remodeled and updated and yeah. yeah yeah so you did that first that, that's a big part of the story yeah, because you know really that is. that took a lot of our efforts and savings yeah. uh, mm-hmm. to do that we needed a place to live right so so we did that and then uh and then when that was ready to move into, we came up here. You know, mm-hmm. I left that safe job in education with all mm-hmm. the benefits, which and made I, his we thought I was very crazy. Nervous. Yeah, um, and and did that, and then, and then had this house, right? And then we were ready to start farming, but then uh, we didn't have any cash flow happening, any <laughs> any paychecks coming in. So, so when uh, my neighbor rolled up on his four wheeler and said, "Hey, there, there's this job that I think you'd be good for. Uh, that's just starting up," and in Green County, I said, well, you know, I'm here to farm, you know, mm-hmm. thanks, thanks, but, you know, I'm here to farm now. And then uh, when somebody else, you know, a month later said the same thing to me, I'm like, wait, wh- what's, same maybe job. I should think about this. And it was the to be the director of the first uh, Family Promise of Green County. So it's a homelessness organization mm. that uh, was just starting up and uh, they needed a, a director. And mm-hmm. so my background in counseling and, sure. you know, it, it they, so I'm like, all right. So I, I did that for two and a half years and, uh-huh. and got that started. And, and that was a nice stepping stone because it takes, like I said, transitions, it takes patience. Uh, and so that, that was a nice stepping stone. Uh, it was very rewarding work. So mm-hmm. it, I, I don't want to say it was just a stepping stone, but it was a good transition uh, piece to, to get us 
to where we were able to farm full time without that off farm uh, paycheck coming in because we had to add other enterprises and scale up a little mm-hmm. bit from where we were when we first moved there. Mm-hmm. So you were selling beef when you first moved there from your dad's farm, right? right? Yeah. And his herd. Yeah, and yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's another unique uh, part of our story is that we didn't just uh, create this grass-fed farm business and start selling the product. Right, right. We, we took a product that uh, – we, we, we started building sales with the product that was that – was there that mm-hmm. my dad was making and refined that product mm-hmm. over time and mm-hmm. created and, and kept adding more features to it that mm-hmm. the customers wanted right um and so that that was kind of that, that was kind of nice because we didn't have to go out there and, and hurry and create this market mm-hmm. um and we, you know we were worried a little bit that what if we change this product so much and then we were going to lose our old customers but I, we didn't really notice that, right? Uh, we did lose some. And and part of why we were selling fairly well at the very beginning was because we were selling it really cheap. Right. And that was very appealing to quite a few. So when we finally figured out what we needed to be making on it, people you know who were mm. just looking for cheap meat and mass kind right. of went elsewhere but we gained a lot more other customers when we went you know 100% grass fed and rotational right. grazing and added you know all of these you know really positive aspects to our meats that people were really looking for but we do still have some of those like the original handful of customers mm-hmm. still with us mm-hmm. yeah yeah so were they in the beginning buying halves and quarters or yeah. were you all yeah they were were yep. you selling piece cuts me we did at the time, no or? we did halves and quarters and then we created um what we called an eighth box which was oh, okay you know um for like, people in an apartment with no yes. freezer we got yeah it ended up getting a little bit wacky um but it was it was all bulk orders i mean Mm -hmm. we weren't just selling a steak or two to people because that was craziness and we needed to sell the whole animal we had like one freezer in our basement at the time so it was like we go pick it up and take it to the customer and we were delivering it like right to people's freezers at that time Mm -hmm. and and the challenge you know maybe one of the biggest reasons we didn't sell pieces is because we had no idea what to charge for and how to price that you know, now the the last few years, you know, mm-hmm. in, in entering your world mm-hmm. of, uh, of right. business and finance, and, and uh, we've learned so much. But when we started out, you know, that wasn't the world we were in. So, mm-hmm. just those, sim- you know, perhaps we look they're simple to us now. But how how do you sell a piece of meat was really, mm-hmm. a, you know, we had no yeah. frame of reference for it back yeah, then. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And if you think about it, you go back to your dad and mom. They didn't even know how to sell. A quarter to no. a person, right? They were they just wouldn't. selling. They yeah, they're just yeah. putting the cattle on a truck and sending them off. Just their yeah. friends, you know, their closest friends. Yeah, you know, they'd, they'd get a, a quarter every year. Yeah, or whatever. yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so um, <clears throat> so you had your dad's cattle. Did you start buying your own cattle? So how did you make that transition? That's that's another good question. We we uh, did buy. Um, cattle so so that the herd we transitioned we transitioned some of it by uh my dad my dad owned the cows and some of the old ones when they would just be sold out then he just wouldn't you know buy new new. Mm -hmm. but we did buy his calves 
So we would buy the calves that were born to all of his cows. I see. Yeah. Instead of buying the cows, because that was too pricey at that point. Right. Um, and then we eventually did buy, you know, the cows that were left when his dad transitioned out. But then um, we also just transitioned out of the cow-calf operation because we realized in our rotational grazing, and maybe I'm getting too deep into the story no, here, but we, we'll we, um, we do all perennial pastures, rotational grazing, move them twice a day, and have some really great land for mm-hmm. finishing cattle and adding pounds to cattle. And we found after the first year, we had some beautiful finished cattle and some really fat cows. Mm-hmm. And you don't really want really fat cows because then they have you know birthing issues and whatever and and they they did okay but we just realized you know we're this isn't we don't want to run two herds we don't want to have a you know lesser quality pasture for the cows and it was just too much of a logistical nightmare and decided you know what our farm is really well suited Mm -hmm. for finishing cattle so let's focus on that Mm -hmm. um so we don't actually have the cow calf operation anymore because it just didn't really fit that well um, but we do have ewes and lambs, mm-hmm. which fits well with, with what we're doing. So we do still have babies on the farm, but they're just yeah. little and tiny and white and fluffy. Oh, yeah. But, right. But the, when the last cows left, that was probably that the was hardest hard. transition for my dad. Oh, I bet. Of all the transitions. Um, he said something like, there's not been a day in 89 years that there hasn't been a cow on this farm. Oh. So it's that was hard, yeah. Yeah, isn't that, it's so crazy. What I, you know, we live in a world where people don't have that sense of continuity in their lives about anything anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So they have that, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of, well, yeah. Anyway, okay, so you started by um, this transition in in the herd, and you were um, renting part of the land, or how does that, that whole part of that transition work? Yeah, we actually, we own our house in our one acre that it sits on, um, and mm-hmm. we rent the land from okay. his dad yeah. because um, it still doesn't make financial sense to buy it outright. Right. Um, and uh, we worked with his parents to connect him to an attorney to kind of work out the, the uh, trust, right? Mm-hmm. They just kind of finished going through that process. So we'll inherit, you know, mm-hmm. Bryce has a sister, so that's kind of all worked out there. Right. So that's that's the the transition plan into the future nice they've been so generous with us yeah. you know to and, and a number of times i've said you know i don't know how anybody can get into this if they don't have a family farm right because the the use of the machinery yeah you know the use of the buildings and yeah yes we're renting the land but you know it has not always been at market value right you know so right uh they, they've really been very generous and supportive mm-hmm. of the of the transition because they mm-hmm. want to see this uh, this work mm-hmm. well and they get to have you living across the street and their grandkids are across the street mm-hmm. like this is really good for grandparents too <laughs> i would imagine yes. yeah. yeah yeah so awesome so okay and um so then when did you start diversifying your herd pretty much right away i mean we started I think shortly after we moved back, we got a few broiler chickens to uh-huh. see how that would work. And we had these janky little homemade A-frames that we'd pull across the like <laughs> the backyard, practically. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we started at very small with a few things, um, added a few pigs, um, just sort of, there was a hog barn there, and, right. and kind of the acre around the hog barn. So we added a few pigs there. and. Um, 
just add it a little at a time, kind of figured out what housing needs and, you know, like how to get it done and how to scale mm-hmm. up um, along the way and figuring out how to sell it too. Um, and then we added the sheep flock um, almost three years ago now. Um, yeah, so we've gone through two lambing seasons and and that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. So have you been out, are they lambing in like January and February or are they, <laughs> is your flock better behaved in that regard than some? Well, we hit it great last year. We had all of our lambs in March and April and uh-huh. we wanted, we want to grow our flock. Right. Um, so we purchased some ewes. We have 11 ewes that came in from mm-hmm. another farm and the rams were in there at all times and so the guy was like they could have lambs whenever so we actually are having some lambs right now we have um two sets of twins and a single so far this year which is not ideal but it'll be just those girls that'll have their babies Mm -hmm. and you know the polar vortex and then the rest will behave and have their babies in the spring right (laughs) i i um i don't do you know brenda jansen she does um she makes sheep milk cheese, and she has a flock of sheep outside oh, okay. of Viroqua. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, dri- um, I think Driftless something or other is the brand of she has. Anyway, okay. she said, you know, because now this is a dairy herd, so you mm-hmm. really, um, you really care about your ewes, right? Because they're yeah. they're milk milking them. So um, she said, oh yeah, I'm out there with a hair dryer trying to like oh, save, yeah, <laughs> to warm up these yeah. babies. Yeah. And, like, yeah, my, oh my, my mom sewed little jackets. Oh, there, we have the oh, most. No. Oh my gosh, these adorable little fleece jackets. And we had just this fleece material laying around. It's red with green frogs all over it. Oh my so our god. So ba- our little lambs run around in these little red with green frog jackets on. Oh my <laughs> god, how yeah. adorable. It's great. Oh my God! Yeah. And she sewed the she jackets. Sewed oh, yes, she's yes. Grandma runs support all the time. Grandma yeah. support. She, she fixes. Uh, she can sew anything, patch things, and mm-hmm. uh, her specialty is replacing zippers. Uh, yes. Zippers. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that's useful on a farm. Every I farm would imagine. a person like that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've been you've been diversifying what you're doing. Let's talk about your pastures because the um, one of the f- early times I came to your farm I was so blown away um driving in that pickup truck down the lane and this was apparently not even in when the bulk of your monarch butterflies were there (laughs) but I tell people it's like those those tv programs you see of the monarchs when they they migrate to Mexico and there's just this cloud of them like there was a cloud of monarch butterflies like Mm -hmm. thousands of them on your farm so Mm -hmm. How does that happen? <laughs> we have stuff yeah. for them to eat. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's kind of intentional, but uh, we we weren't we didn't start out saying you didn't you plan know, it for the, the monarch butterfly yeah. farm. That yeah. was not our goal. Yeah. But, it, but when yeah. we did transition our pasture, establish our pastures, uh, we did go with the uh, the intent of ha- planting more clovers to uh, get, you know have more feed for pollinators. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, our pastures are very diverse. Uh, they have a lot of legumes, a lot of different grasses, and that is not only good for the cattle. When you know the, the more diversity mm-hmm. that they eat, the the more energy mm-hmm. they can take in and and grow grow faster. But it also provides more feed for all the other mm-hmm. um, insects as well as the soil health. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so it all it's all connected. You know, when we started, before we started, I guess I should say, uh, the comment was made by probably more than just my dad that uh, this land is this is too good of land to put grass on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. got to plant corn here because right. this is good ground. Right, and because right. farmers traditionally just use pastures that, mm-hmm. on their on their rocky ground. Right, the ground that they can't plant. Right, and so we really had to run some numbers and say, okay, will we make more money on this good ground if we don't plant corn and we produce grass fed meat of mm-hmm. some sort? Uh, so yeah, that that was a, a calculated risk. Um, and well, but we ultimately found and have proven that you can make more money and grow more really great grass on mm-hmm. really good corn ground, and make more money growing proteins than corn. Well, and, and we don't want to grow corn anyway. Yeah, well, and corn prices go up and down. Yes. It's not necessarily obviously that anybody makes right. money growing corn, right? right? Well, yeah. and that was one of our goals early on was to like remove ourselves from the commodity markets. Right. Like it's it's just you're at the whim of of these market forces right. that you have absolutely no control e- over. Even after we stopped selling commodities, we we grew non-GMO corn to mm-hmm. use as our animal feed for our our pig you know pigs and poultry need need a supplemental Mm -hmm. grain source they can't just have pasture Mm so we for a couple years we we ground our own well we ground i ground my own feed for many years but uh for i don't know three three four years we grew just enough uh corn to feed our animals Mm -hmm. but then we also got rid of that because we knew that we could make more money if we had room for more animals on pasture even though we would be buying in uh, the extra feed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we can still uh, come out ahead. Mm-hmm. So we have c- completely uh, transitioned out of row crops on our farm. Uh, we have done some cover crops, uh, but right now we're, we're this spring coming into the spring. It's completely perennial, yeah. uh, except for except for a small part of cover crops where we overwinter our cattle and they're mm-hmm. hard on the field overwinter, sure. right? So we just put uh, cover crops in there every year so mm-hmm. that, you know, they're not destroying the perennials. Um, but with one caveat that uh, we do have 37 acres in, uh, I guess you'd call them row crops of uh, not really. native uh, monarch habitat seed mm-hmm. uh, production mm-hmm. that we're doing uh, mm-hmm. in partnership with... Uh, Taylor Creek Nursery, right mm-hmm. there in Broadhead, uh, they are renting the land and they have uh, established 12 different uh, varieties of flowers and forbs that are planted in rows mm-hmm. and will be harvested uh, separately whenever, as they mature at various times throughout the season. And then uh, for seed, for seed mm-hmm. that they will use to make custom uh, monarch prairie monarch habitat uh blends for people that want to establish those mm-hmm. elsewhere nice yeah it's going to be beautiful it's, it's in it's in my parents backyard so oh uh, so they happy. get to yeah. see that yeah, how wonderful that. well yeah. and one thing that you didn't say because i think we just take it for granted like there's no chemicals anywhere and that's right. what the pollinators the native pollinators any insect needs because right. you know any of the chemicals they spray on the row crop right. fields are killing 
everything. Yeah. So it's kind of a little wildlife sanctuary. And we've actually, you know, along with other like small mammals, including, you know, Mm -hmm. skunks and (laughs) other lovely things have really risen in the last few years. Yeah. The the grassland birds that uh, fledge their young in the prairies, like bobolinks, meadowlarks and dick sissels. Dick sissels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're they're here now. They've been here for three years and it seems like more every year. Uh, so, so animals that are looking to uh, spend a lot of time here this, in the summers, but also migrating, uh, right. not just the monarchs, but uh, there were, uh, what were they, tree swallows that last fall? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there were thousands of them for a few days uh, hanging out in our pastures and uh, filling, you know, a, more than the a telephone. quarter mile of telephone line with, with these, uh, you know, yeah. birds. So... It, that that's a combination of us doing stuff right but also everybody else you know stripping the ground bare right. you know, like there's this just little less, sanctuary yeah. of like right. what used to be there so i a couple of things so i um brought some folks from the doris duke charitable foundation once to a dairy a grazing dairy farm in wisconsin because this was 10 12 years ago um I still think that the foundation world does not really understand that dairy grazing is, or grazing period, exactly what the the full environmental potential mm-hmm. of that is a system, right? Like this yeah. idea that we, the best thing to do for the environment is not to eat meat and not to <laughs> do dairy is, is if you are to your farm or one of these grazing dairy farms, you would get this, right? So I brought those folks there. And there was a person on there who was kind of in the the team that came to visit who was a a very um, accomplished bird expert. And he just was on the team, right, and coming to visit the farm. And we're wandering around, and this guy's eyes kept getting bigger and bigger. And he's like, whips out his binoculars. And I'm like, what is this all about? And he's like, because he kept identifying, mm-hmm. by hearing the birds, right, he could identify all, all mm-hmm. kinds of endangered birds that were on that farm because of the pasture, right? And I'm yeah. sure that's going on on your farm. Yeah. yeah. The second thing is I... I planted, I li- when I lived in Fitchburg, I had this little um, flower garden that I dug up and I put in prairie plants in it. And mm-hmm. it was maybe 15 feet wide. And it went, I don't know, 50 feet long, though. It was along a fence. So it was mm-hmm. long. And, and I would get in that little thing that was like at most 15 feet wide. I got um, wild turkeys in the middle of Fitchburg. Like, <laughs> like it's so crazy what happens when yeah. even a little bit of habitat. Yeah. And then you guys have how many acres now that, that 280. are? 280. 280. On the home farm. On the yeah. home farm, yeah. So that, I mean, 280 is a lot compared to what a lot of people do. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's fun to uh, now we can kind of gauge you know the month of the year based on you know is the pasture full of birds or is it full of frogs or is mm. it full of insects or is it starting to get quieter as as you know it freezes? Mm. You know that's it's, yeah, it's pretty isn't rewarding. That amazing uh, people. Uh, we we invite others anybody interested to to see our contrast because we're. Uh, we're we're describing our farm, which is directly adjacent to a farm that has six thousand cows indoors, mm. right? And so, it's almost the opposite. Produ- well, it is the opposite uh, production mm. approach. Mm. 
and the the land use associated with that. So, so you you know you you look to one side of the road and and you see this lush ecosystem, uh, green ecosystem, teeming with life, and the other side it's quiet and concrete. It's well, and just we're just exposed soil and and no habitat, no life. You know, it's it's a different philosophy of farming. So. Yeah, it's it's I I was at an event a couple of weeks ago where the, a farmer presented who is doing um um pretty intense cover cropping and planting corn right into the cover mm-hmm. crops and this was like things like it looked like daikon radish like really long thing mm-hmm. I mean and and he had really good pictures like I I've never actually seen somebody mm-hmm. have pictures like this and one of the pictures he showed was was he took a picture at the end of his his property in the beginning of the neighbor's property and this was in minnesota and they had all that rain last spring life that we mm-hmm. did and literally the flood right the brown oh, yeah. dirt flooding water topsoil running into the road like like all in this one side and then there's this green lush pasture yeah. with none of that and it's like wow it yeah. was so striking to see that picture yeah that's only becoming more relevant every day Mm -hmm. you know when we started i think we were more thinking about okay our our products taste better than what you get in the grocery store right um you know and the animals are treated better and Mm -hmm. that's still really important to most of our customers but now the fact that the way we produce these animals Mm -hmm. is having a positive a major positive impact on the soil carbon sequestration mm-hmm. cycle, the water cycle, mm-hmm. uh, keeping water clean um, and keeping soil in place and mm-hmm. not eroding. Um, like you mentioned, uh, you know, when you have a rain event, a heavy rain event, if you have really highly tilled soil that has no structure, that turns that, that rain will cause that to turn to slake and you'll have a flooding event because the water cannot infiltrate at all. And below a half inch of the surface, it'll still be drought-like conditions. Right. So you're creating droughts and floods at the same time by over-tilling. In, an, in a pasture system where there are well-established root networks um, that, are, that are not ever disturbed and uh, continuing to grow as, as, you, as the cattle graze, and the plant uh, shoots out more roots continually, that network just establishes more soil uh, structure that uh, allows the heavy rain events to infiltrate at, at a remarkably quick rates. Mm-hmm. And so the water stays there for when you need it for when there is a drought and your soil stays there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we actually hosted the, um, I'm a soil sister, and uh, we hosted mm-hmm. the In Her Boots Soil Sisters Day Long Workshop at the beginning of June. Uh, I'm sorry, the beginning of August, and the NRCS brought out their like trailer with their water uh, rainfall simulator mm-hmm. in it, which is super cool. But we went out in two different pastures of ours, and they went out to some neighbor farms and took some soil samples and. Um, had five different trays and had this, you know, major rain event of an inch or something in a very, very short period of time. And you could see what infiltrated the soil and what ran off. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things like, oh, this should work. I hope this works wow, and proves right, like right. what we're doing. What I know we're doing is right, yeah, you know. Right. But it really did. Like the women that were at this, at the, the day-long seminar 
just like people's like literally like their breath was taken away it was like wow it really really makes a difference what you plant and how you care for the soil it just like there was all this black runoff coming off of these bare fields and almost nothing coming off of our pastures so it's yeah that's just a super cool demonstration and they kind of take that on the road and you know do that at all the fairs and stuff so yeah that's very cool that was for us like that was a moment for me like yes Mm -hmm. we are doing this and it felt good yeah so none of this holds together if you can't sell the product right so when did so you 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 started direct marketing even before you were back on the farm right so this direct marketing thing has been going on for you for a really long time Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so um this year you're pretty you're to the point where you're almost 100 percent direct marketing is that yes yes this year is hopefully the first year that we won't you know send any animals off on a truck for a wholesale account which is which is fine i mean we have been able to sell into some of the 100 percent grass-fed branded programs Mm -hmm. um but still get very little margin right um in the current farm environment so we made a very conscious decision to only butcher what we knew we could sell direct to customer Mm -hmm. or direct to our you know small retailers or restaurants we do you know what we call our wholesale accounts are our um our retailers restaurants um we're gonna we're hopefully gonna get into a business we've Mm -hmm. got a meeting this afternoon with a business it's your anniversary you're gonna get this account right right? yeah 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 so those i mean we obviously take a lower margin when we sell volumes to like a restaurant but we still get to negotiate those prices Mm -hmm. and control those factors um as opposed to just taking whatever you know the commodity market is that day um, but we do sell mostly directly to the consumer at um, mm-hmm. the farmer. We do the Woodstock, Illinois Farmers Market that's been mm-hmm. very good to us for a long time. Um, we do um, what we call buyers clubs where we go to locations mm-hmm. in the Madison area and Milwaukee area. Once every six weeks, we show up with our coolers and our mm-hmm. customers come to the location, oftentimes someone's home. Um, or, you know, a, a church or a school, and they'll pick up their orders and take mm-hmm. it home for their families. So, um, yeah, that's all been made possible by um, our, we have a really great um, web platform mm-hmm. through um, Graze Cart. So anybody that does what we do should be on Graze Cart. Um, it's just a really easy online shopping experience for folks, and mm-hmm. they can just, you know, pick the proteins they want, and right. away they go. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Cool. So so that part of your business continues to grow, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And do you think um how, do you think your customer really understands the the depth of what you do? Not very many do. Mm-hmm. Some do. I have a number of customers at the farmers market who will like give me a big hug and say mm. thank you I understand and and those are the people I think that follow us on like Instagram and Facebook sure. and you know we post beautiful pictures but we also try to be you know realistic mm-hmm. like I think many of them realize that we work you know 12 14 hours a day and then right. we come to farmers market you know so um yeah some do but the vast majority don't mm-hmm. they just really want a really good tasting product mm-hmm. that they can believe in and feel good about feeding their kids right right yeah right do you think um because because part of the you know the the regenerative practices that you do and trying to get 
more of that into the world. Um, it, your farm is such a great example where of the potential to make that connection with the consumer because mm-hmm. I think so. So Expo West, the big show for the natural category for the last two years, has had a had a, a day which was about regenerative agriculture prior to the show, and mm-hmm. and that show is for the industry. So it's that would be. A program for the buyers um, to help educate buyers mm-hmm. about that. Um, so that says to me that the industry, the food industry, is like gearing up for this. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much the consumer really knows. Oh. They're becoming, I think the consumers are becoming more and more educated on, you know, if I spend my money on this kind of protein, this is the kind of farming that it supports mm-hmm. versus this other kind of farming. And um, for us, something we've really tried to do um, in the last year and really are focusing on in the future is getting people to our farm, doing mm-hmm. some tours, getting more we we've done field days for quite a few years but that's mostly mm-hmm. other farmers or other right, other you know farmers. agency people mm-hmm. coming um but really getting the consumer onto the farm and connected with the animals in the land and to see the butterflies and to see the lambs we want to do we want to do lambing day in march or april we'll see how that goes um but it, yeah i think if they make that connection then they have the memory when they see your logo or or come to the farmers market or whatever and and really connect something positive and really just educating i mean we both are educators by training and by nature mm-hmm. i think so it's it's just really always trying to educate the customer on why we do what we do right right and you know, I know that it's gotta it's gotta be like, oh my God, we do all this, and then right next door, the six thousand mm-hmm. cow thing went in, and how awful. Except that if you come to your farm and see that, mm-hmm. that's such a stark. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about education, yeah. right? It's it just begs like the question. Oh my God. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was funny because that lane that we were driving down with all those butterflies had, you had an old school fence row, right? Mm-hmm. Like we used to have them all over when I was a kid with stone and grown up trees and all that. And we pulled all those out. You still have one of those. And here's Eden on one side and nothing on the other side of that yeah. fence row, right? It was just such a such and and I left there thinking oh my god how awful and then the next thought in my brain was yeah but the monarchs didn't care like they just said hey it's a good place to be here I'm just gonna be here you know so god there's a lesson for all of us in that yeah yeah and one lesson that we learned is that it's not just enough to do things right on our farm yeah. Know, when we you know, we started out, we're like, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what everybody else does. If we do it right, things mm-hmm. are going to be fine. But then we realized that you know, not only uh, might somebody else's practices you know drive us from our own land, mm-hmm. uh, but also that you know what we we need to encourage and teach, like you said, uh, and promote regenerative practices, make them more accessible at a larger scale, because. It needs to. It needs to happen on more acres. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, but ultimately, it comes back down to the consumer and yeah. voting with their yeah. dollars. And that's what I always say: is mm-hmm. if you care, like if you want to see more of this and mm-hmm. not, 
you know, run off in the ditches and undrinkable water, like you got to vote with your dollars. And that then frees us up to be able to raise more and help get more people, you know, access to land. And it has to be financially viable and therefore you're going to pay a little bit more, but it's worth it. And Mm -hmm. ultimately we're doing nothing less than saving the earth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's interesting, I was talking to somebody in um, Dane County apparently has instituted a program to, to help to incentivize farmers to put in cover crops. Yeah. Um, and That's I don't, statewide. Yeah. So, and apparently Dan County, because we have Madison, has more money than other counties mm-hmm. or whatever. But it's a so it's a good thing, right? Getting getting farmers to to actually do this um, is another matter, right? Yes. Um, because Old it's kind of like tricks. your dad. Mm-hmm. You know, is was your dad the right person to have done all this innovation? Probably not, right? It's probably a new generation. Mm-hmm. So. Um, um, but I, what I'm hearing is because because of the water. So all this other stuff about birds and all that, like, yeah. But the water, man, that the degree to which you literally couldn't get into plant last year, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this is two years in a row. Yeah. Like yeah. suddenly, people who never thought about any of this stuff are starting to think about it. Really yeah. conventional. Yes. Um, right. Practices. They have to. Yeah. 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 Yeah, not, mm-hmm. o- not only producers uh, looking for alternative models, but hopefully uh, helping consumers make that connection between, you know, these severe weather events. What And what can I do today with my food dollar to potentially alleviate and mitigate some of these weather-related problems? Because it, th- that connection is there, but... If well, and people don't know what to do. So yeah. you're a you're a psychologist. I I live with a guy who's a psychotherapist, and it, you know he's talking about people coming with climate anxiety, mm-hmm. like sure. like just in this sense that they don't they can't influence it all right. at all, and they don't know what they can do. And right. and, and there's such there's such conflicting messages, right? right. Like be a vegetarian. No, it, you know, like I, yeah. and we really obviously believe that you know having ruminants rotating through on what you know used to be the native prairies is a huge part of the solution phrase it's not the cow it's the how yeah not the cow it's the how people overreact and say well we gotta not eat any meat Mm -hmm. because if you if you overgraze yeah that that overgrazing has caused a lot of desertification around Mm -hmm. the world so people automatically might link livestock to desertification Mm -hmm. well no desertification or it can be reversed if Mm -hmm. you graze properly I mean, because it's, right. the, it's the best tool to bring uh, soil back to life, too. Rather right. than just letting it sit, it will continue to dry out. But uh, if, you, if you manage the animals properly, uh, then it's a way to uh, ha- have, the, have the best impact on uh, climate in, you know, and, and the, again, the soil carbon sequestration potential uh, if we were to properly manage grazing on uh, a lot of the acres in this country that are row cropped, um, mm-hmm. it would have a huge positive impact on on atmospheric carbon. Right. So carbon sequestration. People talk about methane, right, and and cattle mm-hmm. and um, um, along the way, I ran a company that we made um, starter calf feed out of whey so whey protein so this is before I did Tara's whey and the whey protein for humans I was doing a starter calf feed Mm. 
And um, we actually had test barns with, with calves in it because we were doing work with, star- with animal f- nutrition, right? And calves. And it takes three weeks for the, for the rumen of a, of an, um, of a calf or, or a cow or a steer to change based on their diet. Three weeks, hmm. the yeah. length and structure, the villi in the stomach, which is what enables yeah. them to digest different mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. right? And and they get, um, depending on what you feed a calf, it gets acidic, right? There's mm-hmm. they get stomach upset, right? Yeah. Depending yeah. on what they're eating. So we were doing research about all this kind of stuff, um, and I I have the sense that um, that cattle that are fed corn they're not meant to be eating that much corn that this is upsetting their digestive system so the degree to which we have all these methane problems supposedly with cattle is has to do with what they're eating yeah yes yeah that's that's definitely true we we observed that back when we had uh when my dad was grain finishing cattle um there were a lot more health issues and, and you had to be careful about how you how you transition them to grain and and uh we definitely knew our veterinarian yeah and now i don't, don't really know, know a veterinarian, our, a veterinarian. <laughs> i know isn't that crazy it's, it's the dairy great. people say the same thing the dairy grazers are yeah. like yeah we don't really have vets out here it's no it's fantastic and we just don't have I mean the the only time I can think of having the vet out recently was with a U with birthing issues mm-hmm. but that you know I mean yeah when the cattle or any ruminant any animal is living the way it should be living and has mm-hmm. the space to you know be a pig or be mm-hmm. a steer and has the proper diet and and surroundings they thrive mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's astonishing, kind of on a holistic way. It's such a holistically different yes. set of impacts, right? It's and and the idea that eating real grass fed. So we have, you know, degrees of grass fed, and unfortunately for labeling, I know people get they get frustrated with the organic mm-hmm. labeling because USDA organic, right? It's a whole paperwork nightmare and Mm -hmm. people get upset with that but the good thing about it is you you have more control over what that means Mm -hmm. compared to grass-fed where we don't really know what that means right because it isn't as it isn't regulated um but having people who really care about this if they come to a farm like yours and they buy from you then they know what it Mm -hmm. really means and Mm -hmm. you guys are like the gold standard for grazing in the sense that that the the degree to which you are doing the practices is is, is gold standard mm-hmm. compared to what other people do and still call yeah. themselves grass fed. That's that's true. That uh, there are so many people doing it, uh, barely doing it, but mm-hmm. but claiming that they are. What we do is adaptive multi paddock grazing. So mm-hmm. it's not even. Uh, where we have the same paddock size every time, the, the all of the pr- interior fence is, is portable. So the pe- depending on the time of year, the length of the grass, how wet the ground is, um, how many animals are in the group, 
the, we make the paddocks different sizes. Mm-hmm. So there's variation throughout all the, the, the pastures throughout the year. And then there are multi-species uh, grazing mm-hmm. events happening because the, uh, the cattle are going through and they have the most grazing impact, the herd effect where their, their hoof, hoof pressure can uh, have um, a, a positive effect on breaking up soil and doing a little aeration and things like that, uh, put, gr- putting uh, seeds to soil contact, that kind of stuff. But then the sheep come through and they're smaller animals. So mm-hmm. there may be more of them, but they're uh, not not uh, sinking as deep into the into the soil. Uh, they graze a little bit different too, the different uh, parts of the plants. Mm-hmm. And their 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 waste uh, their nutrients coming out of them is different than the cattle, mm-hmm. so it has a uh, different use in the soil. And then you've got uh, our meat chickens uh, and our uh, egg layers and our turkeys and our pigs all move across the land. Uh, they don't go across the whole farm like mm-hmm. the cattle and the sheep because they just don't travel as much at a time, right? So, but the they still have varying impacts on each part of the the pasture and that diversity uh is what really helps the uh not only the grasses to thrive but the soil biology mm-hmm. uh and the microbes in the soil uh to have a, a wide range of food source uh and um and you, and you see that in the, the way that the grasses grow mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know you know we were at a meeting recently where our agronomist was there talking about uh, different cover crops and things and made the joke to the group that, you know, it's there are some drawbacks to uh, having deep uh, silt loam soil like we do um, because it does hold water better um, and with all this excess mm-hmm. uh, rain we've been having. some You know, our challenges are more uh, sometimes how to protect the pasture and mm-hmm. move the animals to a uh, higher ground um, while everything is a little too wet. But even so, you know, in the last couple of years, we've we've had paddocks that we just had to use, and and the, you come out and it's time to move them, and it just looks almost like mud, and we're thinking, oh, this is destroyed. We're gonna have to replant. And then the next year, it's mm-hmm. like, well, I can kind of maybe you can kind of tell where that was, but for the most part, it grows right back. Very mm-hmm. very resilient. Yeah. So. Yeah, and having multiple species of has uh, got to help with that, right? It does. It does. Yeah. You know, it gives us flexibility. You, you need to have mm-hmm. flexibility. And what what we're our, our theme recently has been resilience because mm-hmm. not only do we have to be uh, resilient to these uh, climate events, these weather events that we just uh, have to have to build into our uh plans for the next year you know that we can't push the limits on stocking rate because mm-hmm. you you can expect you know a few months of rain that you didn't use you know used to have to account for right. um we yeah so so resilience with um how many animals mm-hmm. we have but then also on the marketing side of things too you know you have to be able to have flexibility mm-hmm. based on you know you don't want to over uh butcher you know and mm-hmm. have too much too much stuff in inventory um you got to have enough butcher dates reserved because now with fewer processors mm-hmm. around they, they you know a year year and a half in advance you need to have these dates and it's isn't that crazy yeah. Yeah. a year and a half in advance oh yeah that I, we really have to do that with cattle yeah so crazy yeah yeah so 
It's, yeah, so that's been one of the bigger challenges is hitting that, the, getting all of those mm-hmm. cogs pieces. turning in the same direction, you know, having enough meat and frozen storage to be able to fill a big order or to be able to, you know, take care of what the customers need. But yet, you know, because there's a long turnaround. If I run out yeah. of beef and they're still on hoof, you know, we got to, you know, figure out when we're getting them to butcher and then wait two weeks and then you know we have a product Mm -hmm. um or the other happens when suddenly we're like oh my gosh we have a lot of meat and cold storage and we need to do something with it so it's yeah we're we're still finding that you know perfect sweet spot we're getting much better at it but you know and having enough hay to Mm -hmm. to account for you know not being able to make a crop or two because of the weather right so you know, when we were doing this transition and research and learning, you know, taking all these notes on what the speakers at the conferences mm-hmm. say and the textbook says and articles say that you can have this many cattle and they should gain this much per day and this, so this should be your stocking rate. Okay, okay, so we apply that, right, because we got this good soil, we got good grass. We apply that to uh, maximum efficiency, right, and maximum stocking rate. And then, you know, it Then it rains, rains and rains and rains. rains. Or we get a polar vortex. Right. Both. Yeah. And, and, and so, so <laughs> then, we have, year, then yeah. we have too many cattle and not enough hay, right? right. And so that was, a, that was a, a lesson that we learned that, that you know, it, and this is something that we need to share, that, you know what, you can't just go by what, uh, you know, these experts say. You have to really apply it to not only your land and situation, but your markets, too. Mm-hmm. your uh, ability to process and 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 now we intentionally um understock mm-hmm. with the uh intent of making extra hay off mm-hmm. of whatever we can't graze because either it will have a bad season and that we won't have extra hay we'll have just enough mm-hmm. or we can sell the hay um, right. which is a lot better place to be than buying hay yeah right <laughs> so yeah and last year you couldn't buy hay even if you wanted to it was hor- or you could well, but it was outrageously expensive it. And it, was, it was expensive <laughs> find yeah. it because you have to bet it's outrageously it's expensive right. and um yeah so how's that going this year it's going well better going yeah better, yeah right? because well uh mainly because we expanded um by about uh, 150 more acres that we were able to to make some hay and cover crops mm-hmm. off of mm-hmm. and uh so that feed you know so cover crops you know they're they're high moisture so you have to make high, uh, wet hay baleage right so right. that's the kind of feed that we like to use on our uh beef to, to help them uh, finish out so we made that hay on the on the new land and feeding that and then we're able to sell uh some of the extra pasture mm-hmm. hay that we we're able to make dry so this year uh we're one of the you we got on the right side of this equation this year we're yeah. able to sell some hay uh, as opposed to buying it because you know with, with so many people coming out of the winter right you had a lot of uh, alfalfa that was winter killed yeah uh, so a lot of a lot of people had to replant and then you you missed the uh, you missed the crop whether it's first in crop beginning, in the beginning because yeah. it rained uh, so long so there was uh, uh, less a lot less uh, mm-hmm. hay able to be produced this year for a couple different reasons yeah so 
Yeah, I don't think people really get your, it's hard, if you know, if you're not into farming, it's hard to mm-hmm. put your head around like how having too much water can be mm-hmm. a problem, mm-hmm. right? It's sort of drought we all get. Yeah, nothing grows mm-hmm. when we don't get rain, but too much rain is, is a big problem too. Yeah. It's, a big it's problem. actually a bigger problem for us than, I mean, we do mm-hmm. a little better in a drought condition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have such nice soil. Yeah. Yeah, it's harder to be resilient with more moisture. And I guess the people that I talk to know know things about this say that that's um, our our part of the country as our climate changes is yeah. going to become it's like wetter. Like norm, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's where we really have had to, you know, that's part of building in the resilience and having less mm-hmm. animals than we probably could handle right. um, on our land, but. It's, you know, again, we, we don't need more than we can sell direct to customers mm-hmm. and we don't want to push it because if we have extra hay, it's just a bonus. And right. if we have extra animals, then we're like stuck. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what's um, in the future? So, so you have, um, I know you have a lot in your future, but it, in the, you're talking about direct to mm-hmm. consumer, right? Yes. Without a buying club in the we, middle. Yeah. So thus far it's, you know, our meat transactions have more or less happened. You know, the handoff has happened face to face, at least the purchase happens online, but now we are moving towards home delivery. Mm. So that really has become clear that convenience is king Mm -hmm. and people sometimes can make it to a farmer's market, but often when we do our Saturday deliveries, it's hard for people to get to a certain spot at a certain Mm -hmm. time to pick up their meat and it's inconvenient for them because they got a million other things going on. Mm -hmm. So um, home delivery, we're figuring out kind of, you know, the boxes and the insulation and the, you know, the gel packs or or dry ice. There's a ton of decisions and logistics that go into that, but we're we're getting there and very soon going to be able to offer that to one day ground uh, service, probably FedEx, and that actually opens up just this gigantic population mm-hmm. for us, um, including like Chicago and Minneapolis and, you know, central, do we go to St. Louis area? I mean, it just really, all of these markets that we have never really tapped into because we've just right. sort of been, you know, limited based on geography. Right. Um, yeah, so that's that's in our future, yeah. Yeah, there's, <clears throat> there are uh, some entities out there that are, are providing that service, but they're more of an aggregate service where they uh, maybe are right. a, a collective and they get, they get meat from a, a group of different people and they, and they can't guarantee the kind of quality that we can, I think. And that's yeah. going to be what people uh, can, may, may look to us for is, you know what, I, I could get this somewhere else. Uh, obviously, you can get anything online these days, but you know, what What I know I can get from Reamer Family Farm is that, you know, this was this was raised in a way that, you know, I can I can go on their website and I can see videos how it was raised and, mm-hmm. and I can go to the farm and visit them, uh, things like that. So um, I think that's that's going to work well for us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exciting. So that's when is that going to start, do you think? Um, four to eight weeks, right? <laughs> four to eight um, weeks. <laughs> four, 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 we're, four to eight. We're Yay. four to eight. Not yeah, four yeah. Um, we soon. I mean, we're yeah, we're soon. still kind of. It is a it's a high priority for us now. I feel like we've been talking about it for a very long time, but we just really need to get it launched and mm-hmm. do a couple trial runs with some relatively close by. And it's January, February, so if right, frozen shipment gonna, sits there for a little while, right, it's not as much risk down. as August. Yeah. Right. What 
what I would say is for everyone interested to go to our website, uh, Reamer, R-I-E-M-E-R, familyfarm.com, and sign up for uh, our email list because that you'll, you'll, you'll get the latest updates as to when these opportunities are going to be there. Um, and and that, that's, you'll also learn a lot more about our farm that way too. So. Mm-hmm. I, I um, bought a bunch of steaks from you guys and gave them to one of my kids for Christmas because I have these... I have all millennial kids um, who really, that, it, it's interesting because they're all only, I've told you this before, but one of them cooks, even though I made dinner and made them all eat and I cook from scratch and, you know, all of that, they all grew up that way, but only one of them kind of embraced that, the other two not so much. Mm-hmm. Now that they're getting, they're married and they're thinking about having kids, they all have the dogs. We're in the dog <laughs> stage and one is yeah. pregnant, but yeah. So um, anyway, um, um, they're starting to cook and they can't like the daughter who I gave these steaks to was is not one of is not the real cook she's a mm-hmm. yeah she, so it had to be something easy yeah. you know that was and I was like yeah but hamburger yeah you know so I I spent a lot of money and bought a lot of good steaks for them <laughs> and they were so thrilled with that like they live awesome. in a condo oh. that isn't very big right they also don't have a big freezer but mm-hmm. so you can't just like buy a huge amount of meat um, but they also don't want stuff you know so I'm like what do you mm-hmm. get a kid they they mm-hmm. don't want stuff they don't need they don't have yeah you know sure. and that yeah. ended up being shoot they are so thrilled that's great yeah well and I along with you know the gal that helps us uh, works for us we try really hard to make it convenient like at the market I have these little slips that say Jen's tips to cooking grass-fed steak because yeah. you can murder a grass-fed steak if you don't do it right you know don't overcook it a low heat you know so we right, really and on our right. website we have you know videos and blog posts and all of these things and we've just done one of our new hot things we um, took some of our uh, turkeys that we raised this year we do that primarily for Thanksgiving but we took some to hometown sausage in East Troy, and they made some wonderful like ground turkey and um, turkey breakfast sausage links and oh, nice. boneless yeah. skinless breasts, which lots of people ask for boneless skinless, and mm-hmm. our other our regular processor won't do that. So we have these great value added turkey products right now that people are loving because they're super convenient, right. and people love love the poultry products. But we can't you know up until now we couldn't do Mm. anything boneless and you know so those are the sorts of things people just want something they can throw in a pan and be done Mm -hmm. with it in a few minutes and yeah so we're trying to do more than that but you know it's still you gotta cook yeah no but then yeah and then you're gonna need you're gonna need a big walk-in freezer like i'm this walk-in freezer that that i you know imagine for you keeps getting bigger bigger. (laughs) yeah we really need the the whole like lots and lots of chest freezers thing is really not working that well anymore right yeah yeah. Right, so there's going to be in your future a whole bunch of infrastructure and fun yeah. marketing, and yeah, yeah. And and do you see? Do other farmers come to your farm? And I hope other people come to your farm and see what you do, and go home and try to do something, even yeah. a piece of what you do. They do, they do. We have field days, demonstration days, you know, things uh, teach teach our practices to farmers that want to learn it uh okay you know some of the time occasionally there's marketing specific workshops bit, that yeah. we we teach <laughs> i did actually this moses women's workshop in august i did just you know a brief talk about how we market and such and i hadn't thought what we 
do is really that unique and mm-hmm. and big, really. And I, you know, did this little mini survey of these 20 women and like nobody was doing any direct marketing and I was speaking like Latin to them. And I was like, whoa, back up. You know, like really we we're we're we've done more than I always realized we've done. Yeah. And um, the scale. I mean, that's sort of true about everything in your farm. The scale yeah. of what you're doing you're not just a little farm with 20 right. acres with 10 cattle and you know yeah. what I mean like yeah. everything you've done is is on a scale that you probably you take for granted because you're in it but yeah. it's at yeah. a, a larger scale than most people and there's, there was not a day that I can remember where we woke up and and realized oh we've switched from being the student to the teacher right in all of this although <laughs> The Moses Moses Organic Farming Conference asked us to come speak about our um, mm-hmm. pastured hen operation, laying hens. So we're doing that. And then the state grazing specialist reached out to us, Brian Pillsbury, and said, will you help teach about grazing cover crops? And we were like, we've made it. <laughs> like Moses is like the gold standard of Yay. like all education. So we kind of feel like we must have at some point stepped over that line and now we're teaching. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you just get to live your life and then that happens and the universe is coming around to you, right? Like for so many reasons that the universe needs, we need more people farming the way you do, right? We've seen a lot of people come and go. Oh, yeah, well, there's that problem. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. we look around and we're like, oh, I I guess we are kind of the teachers because there's nobody else here as long as, that's been here as long as us now. Well, the two pieces of that, I think, are what you brought up earlier, where how do you do this if you you aren't getting, you know, inheriting a farm? Like, like, I don't know how. The economics of this are very difficult for people. That's the... That's why people come and go. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing is it only works if you go, but you know, you jump off a cliff and you go all the way. Like people who try to kind of do it halfway, mm. you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we're, we don't really change our genetics and we don't really yeah. do all of our pasture that way. And then we do a little direct marketing, yeah. but we don't really do it. Like that's what I mean by halfway. Yeah. The financial model doesn't hang together at halfway. Right. right. And halfway and also uh, w- what we're looking back and kind of realizing now is scale. You know, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that maybe we'd have done differently is figured out the two, three things that we love to do and are good at and, are, and that our resource base it has. Mm-hmm. And then hit those harder, mm-hmm. hit, go bigger earlier to get mm-hmm. some of that scale yeah. to get past that, out of that trap of you know our expenses are high and our income is not that high, you know that that mid that mid size point or you know there's so many small direct marketers too, sure you know that I just I just wish for them to to make make a jump at some point to get to get enough sales going mm-hmm. to, to sustain you right and you guys have made the jump of neither of you walk, work off the farm anymore right? right which is which is almost unheard of in this yeah. world yeah yeah it's, yeah 
Nobody you know, else my, is writing us paychecks. My, <laughs> my, for for a f- it's been a few years now since my mom has has asked me if I ought to go substitute teach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there were the first couple of years she I'm said that sure. a few times. Yeah. I'm sure. Well, she's worried, you know, yes. about how this whole thing is going to hang together, and yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um. So, have we missed anything about your farm? I mean, I know that you have lots of other things on the on the on the horizon, and sure. you get to come back for uh, another podcast interview where we're going to talk about the um, another project that you're working on. But just with your farm, because your farm is is just such a beautiful and it's example of something that I think a lot of us are um, yearning to see more of. Put mm. it that way. Huh. Oh, and they homeschool. You homeschool yes, your kids too, I right? Do. We do. Yeah, yeah we're kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, we only have one daughter still at home right now. Um, the other two are in public school, um, which is working. Um, and then next year, all three of them will be in school. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, we homeschooled all three for many, many years. Yeah. And it was super great. I mean, there were times where, honestly, I didn't give them everything they needed, but they still turned out okay because mm-hmm. they get to farm. Like, they really got to do stuff alongside of us and, like, really sure. learn business. Like, I feel like yeah, my oldest yeah, is on. 15 now, mm-hmm. and she is just mature beyond her age because mm-hmm. she's kind of been along for the ride and seen how the real business world works mm-hmm. and how how things really how the world really turns mm-hmm. um, and we have been able to kind of protect her from some of the mm-hmm. pitfalls of middle school right but, yeah and and they're very involved you know they're yeah. f- they're 15 13 and 7 and now they they want they want to get involved you know the mm-hmm. two older ones are you know definitely going to work for us this summer and even the younger one you know can handle you know cats and sheep and and livestock guardian dogs, things like that. That uh, you, you know, when you, when you have a more conventional farm and it's it's heavy equipment op, you know, operation primarily, right? And so you know, it's not it's not really uh, conducive for mm-hmm. youngsters to get involved. But uh, when you're grazing and you have diverse, uh, you know, po- the poultry and things mm-hmm. like that, you know, the, the kids can really get some mm-hmm. some nice experience and, and and get out there and be part of the team, which I think is pretty re- rewarding for them and for us. Yeah. Well, and part of how, you know, people ask us all the time, how do you make it all work with all the different stuff? And we do have good help. We have some amazing mm-hmm. employees. And like our oldest daughter really has taken ownership of the sheep flock. So mm-hmm. she's responsible for taking care of them. And I am a bit of a micromanager. So I, of course, am always out there. And mm-hmm. I love lambs, too. So I'm out there helping with lambs mm-hmm. and stuff. But it's ultimately, you know, when we make decisions, I mm-hmm. look to her and say, what do you think we should do? And mm-hmm. it really takes some of the pressure off of us to have mm-hmm. to be absolutely in charge of every single thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what a what a wonderful experience for them. I mean, and... and um, you know, just to have a response, be given responsibility for something mm-hmm. like that, right? And mm-hmm. to have ownership, feel ownership mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. 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 Our farm is very open, uh, very community-oriented, very much, uh, you know, open to, to learning new things. So when our, you mentioned we have a great team, we, we do, and we, we, we prioritize that, mm-hmm. you know, the communication uh, amongst each other as well as, you know, f- f- finding somebody that, s- seeing somebody that's 
that's got an interest, you know, mm-hmm. and, and wants to get involved and trying to find a way to get them involved, you know, just because we value the, the human uh, component that they bring, you know, it's, so we're very proud of our team and we have, uh, we have a lot more people on our team than we have on our payroll. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, it's kind of people, people want to be a part of it when you're, when you're uh, showing that kind of respect and, and providing that kind of opportunity. And that's, again, back to farmers being real independent and working alone. I think that's that's a thing of the past. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a farm in the future. You know, it's very collaborative, not only between uh, maybe us as, as farmers and uh, other farmers that we want to train and mentor and give opportunity to get into regenerative farming, but of course, if we're doing marketing, it's it's that whole uh, side of the well. It's not even just a side of the business. That's the that that should be the start of the business, yeah. right? Too, too many farms getting into producing, you know, value added products. Figure out how to make the product first, mm-hmm. and then they have all these things, and they're like, uh, yeah, "How do I sell what? it? Yeah, yeah. Now, now what? Right?" And so uh, they look at marketing and sales as an afterthought, mm-hmm. where that that needs to be the you know the first thing. And we did a lot of this, you know. I, I think we flipped this on 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 its head from when you know my dad, you know, my the the, the commodity farmers are like, okay, uh, how do I produce as much as possible, highest yield, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's all that really matters because you sell it as a commodity. For us, it's like, okay, what can we produce that people want to buy? What will sell? And then how can we produce that with our resource base, right? And how Mm -hmm. can we, what what is the way that we can have the highest margin on each of those things that we can produce, right? Well, and that's driven by our ethics and our passion too. I mean, it's not just about what the customer wants to buy, but I want to raise grass-fed beef because that's what I believe in Exactly. Mm-hmm. How, how does that jive with, match with, you know, our values uh, and things like that? Well, and, and you you guys figured out target marketing, right? That, that process, yeah. that consumer products process of saying, I'm not going to raise everything from everybody. I'm yeah. going to... I'm going to align what mm-hmm. we have with a consumer a mm-hmm. target market of consumers who value the same yeah. things, yeah. right? And you don't yeah. need everybody. You just need those folks. And that's been a little hard for me because I initially, well, like I mentioned earlier, our, initially our prices were way too low. Right. And we lost some customers when we raised our prices. Yeah, and I wanted and to just, just feed everybody. But, mm-hmm. you know, the bottom line is the vast majority of people still are super happy shopping at the big box store and buying really awful food. Mm-hmm. And maybe that very top, like half a percent of like super foodies who require everything to be like acorn fed and whatever, mm-hmm. like they might not actually be our customer either. But that like right. 20% or whatever who really care about their food mm-hmm. and care about the earth and want something to taste really awesome, that's mm-hmm. our customer. Right. And that took me a little while to come along to like not everyone is going to be our customer yeah. but the ones that that find us and love us are like super loyal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well i wish um you guys all the success in the world your farm is is just an inspiration i think it, visiting your farm and interacting with you is is always inspiring to me is there anything else we've missed because we've covered so much ground mm. well uh at the risk of sounding like uh, a suck up, uh, we we do need to say that taking your boot camp last mm-hmm. year uh, was <laughs> was one of the. I, I mean, we we can't really tell our story without uh, talking about you and what we've learned from you um, mm-hmm. and and all of the uh, the business, if you want to just say business training that uh, that your 
your program uh, has provided for us and, and all of your, your consulting and, and, uh, and wisdom associated to, uh, you know, <laughs> how, to, how to make difficult decisions, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just, you know, looking, looking at the numbers, you know, yeah. and looking, you know, we, we've, you, you kind of hinted at, you know, it's hard not to sell to everybody and, you know, lose, losing customers is hard and stuff like that. But reframing re- the way we look at this, th- what we do, are doing as, you know what, this is a business. Mm-hmm. What we do on our business, on our farm, needs to, the decisions need to be made with the potential for scaling things up. Mm-hmm. Not just, not just because, not, not, not because we want to get big, but because that's the way to make things sustainable over time. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't just start a new enterprise uh, for fun if it's, if it's not going to be able to be scaled. Yeah. And, and so th- those kind of, uh, perspectives mm-hmm. that you provided, um, are are ones that have helped us really get to make some major changes just in the last couple of years yeah well because we got into it because we wanted to farm like we loved the land and the animals and then suddenly we're like oh we got to figure out how to do this business thing and you know margins what's a margin and you know so we kind of grew into that slowly and you know there's some things we should have done differently from the beginning but you know this boot camp has been for us pretty pretty critical yeah well I uh, thank you I mean I I do it because I want people like you to be I want your farm to thrive right and and resilience or whatever the your word is for that um and part of that is always the the making the thing work as a business Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of headwinds right now in agriculture and not many farmers doing anything or making money Mm -hmm. so um, being able to work with people and get them to a place where where they can become financially viable is so critical to our future, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're we're like it's going to be the last men left standing. Yeah. Otherwise, and that is not necessarily going to be the kind of agriculture that is yeah. has all the has all the benefits that yours does. So yeah, so. Anyway, thank you so much for what you do every day. Um, Reimer Family Farms, you can find them online. Or Reimer. I always say Reimer. I, <laughs> it looks I, I like know. Reimer. It looks like Reimer. That's why. And <laughs> isn't okay. that Ger- in German? Would it be Reimer in German? Yes. Yeah. That's why. Okay, so it's Reimer. And my, my maiden name is Weiderman, so I should be able to say it the German <laughs> way. <laughs> uh, so thanks so much for coming down. And um, we are going to talk again soon. All right. Thank you, Tara. Thank you, Tara. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.